But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labor among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Our scholars tell us that this first letter that we have to the Thessalonians was probably the earliest letter we have from the pen of Paul. This is probably the earliest document we have that Paul wrote to those who had become Christ followers, to those who have hope in the Lord, as he says in chapter 1. It seems to be written to a group of Gentile converts who had become believers that God had done something spectacular through Jesus of Nazareth to make him the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord of all. And yet they're struggling in some ways and suffering some persecution. And so Paul writes to them. He's helped organize them to start with. He's gone on to help others. Now he's writing back to them this letter. And as you read through it, you see over and over he is writing words of encouragement. He's trying to give them words of hope. He's trying to say, continue to live a life as a follower of Christ. You can trust that God is at work in you and among you. And this all works the best if you continue to live as we have taught you as followers of Christ. You can hear the ideal that Paul has in terms of what it means to live a life in Christ as he writes about the basic disposition or attitude that they can embody as Christians as we come to the very end of where we read in verse 16 and following he says rejoice always pray without ceasing give thanks in all circumstances and yet so often when we read that, we tend to think that's a little too idealistic, maybe even impossible. I've heard people say, that's just not possible. There's no way that I can rejoice always. I'm not always thankful. I have more things to do than sit around and talk to God all day to pray without ceasing. How in the world is this possible? What is Paul talking about? How are we to take this? And certainly the early followers of Christ would have had some of those same questions, would have had some of those same struggles in terms of what Paul is suggesting should be the attitude of all Christians and the way we all live our lives as followers of Christ. Dr. Roberta Bondi, who was our Barton Clinton Gordy lecturer last weekend, reminds us that in Paul's time, it was illegal to be a Christian in the Roman Empire. That Christians did in fact suffer persecution, some decades worse than others, depending on who the Roman emperor was. 
and what their particular views were and how vigorously they were pursuing those who might proclaim allegiance to anyone other than the emperor, she reminds us that they lived in a hostile time. That to be a follower of Christ, to profess your faith and to try to practice living as a follower of Christ could cause you to lose your job. Maybe to go to prison and be separated from your family. Maybe even to lose your very life if you continued to profess faith when the Romans said they didn't want you to do so. It was a hostile environment, Dr. Bondi reminds us, until Constantine became the emperor and during the 4th century finally made it okay, made it legal to be a Christian. In fact, finally declared that Christianity would be the religion of the empire. But then Dr. Bondi points out in her book to pray and to love that another problem arose as Christians moved from persecuted to privileged in the Roman Empire. She said people began to question this arrangement or this alliance with Christianity and the power and prestige that came with it being the official religion of the empire. They began to wonder if it did not compromise their faith in some ways. They began to wonder if you could fulfill all that Christ calls us to do and be and still live in a family with all those responsibilities to seek social status, to do certain jobs. She said people began to question all the different loyalties and in, in a sense entanglements they had with certain businesses and certain occupations and certain responsibilities to extended family. She said there became an increasing number of Christ followers who began to seek a way of life that would remove all those other loyalties because they understood the call of Christ to say to put the love of God and the love of all neighbors above any worldly commitments. They began to wonder what it would be like to try to fulfill this admonition of Paul to rejoice always to pray without ceasing, to give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I don't feel called to live a monastic life or to go to a monastery or not to be a part of a human family, but as I've read about these early monastics, I have begun to wonder if there aren't some lessons here for me. What can I learn from these deeply devoted disciples of Christ? What can I learn from these early Christians? Might there be some lessons here that would help me in my own desire to continue to grow in Christ? Perhaps there's lessons for you as well. One of the things they questioned was how they lived in their culture once the empire adopted Christianity and began to set some of the rules and some of the doctrine for Christianity. They began to wonder if maybe it was better for Christians not to be so close to the center of power. I've wondered about my relationship with culture. Certainly our society and culture thrives because we have a strong work ethic, and yet sometimes I find myself being so caught up in 
production and results and measurements and work that I think perhaps it becomes destructive when work gets in the way of time with family or friends, when work begins to tire us out so much that we do not have time to pursue or nurture a relationship with God. It can become destructive without balance, without time for rest and recovery and refreshment. I begin to think that maybe I'm caught up in that sometimes in a destructive way. I begin to think that perhaps I'm doing too much and yet settling for too little in the sense of trying to do too much by myself and expecting too little from God, giving up on the Christian ideal that we read about, like in this letter from Paul and other places in our Scripture. I began to think this week as I read over this text during the week that maybe the fact that when I read this, I think this is unrealistic or that's just impossible. But maybe that's the very sign that I need to pay attention. Maybe that's the sign I need to look a little more closely. Maybe that's a sign I'm caught too much in doing my own thing and not paying enough attention to what God might be doing. The fact that we think it's unrealistic might be the very sign that says we need to change. We need to reorient our lives. Or to use the language of Lent, maybe it's the very sign when we think I could never do this that we should repent and open ourselves ever more to what God might want to do in our lives. I begin to think maybe we give up too easily on what God has in store for us. Maybe we've given up too easily and say, oh, that's impossible, so that we miss the gifts of God that would come to us if we would listen a little more closely. What if it is possible to live a life fully motivated by love of God and love of neighbor? What if it really is possible to live a life, as Paul describes here, where we rejoice always and are able to pray without ceasing and we're able to give thanks in all circumstances? What would that be like? The early monastics were seeking that very thing. Dr. Bondi talks about it in her book, To Pray and to Love. I want to read you just a small section that she quotes from one of the early biographies of these early monastics and what their life was like. She says it was like this. In their cells in the hills, they were like these tents filled with divine choirs, people chanting, studying, fasting, praying, rejoicing in the hope of future boons, working for the distribution of alms and maintaining love and harmony among themselves. It was as if one truly looked on a land all its own, a land of devotion and righteousness or right relationship. For neither perpetrator nor victim of injustice was present there, nor complaint of a tax collector. I've been looking at my taxes lately, so that one sounds pretty good. No tax collectors. 
But I digress. That's not her point, of course. Her point is that they were pursuing a different lifestyle, trying to open themselves to the gifts of God. And what a life full of Christ would look like. I think it begins to sound a lot like what Paul describes to these first Christian converts in Thessalonica. Listen again. Let me read to you from verse 13 through 15 again. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved or brothers and sisters, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them, see that none of you repays evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to all. That sounds like a pretty great community to live in, where everyone was seeking to do good, and it was a place of encouragement and support and yet accountability, a place of challenge, and yet when you needed help, others would rally around you to help you, and when you had opportunity to help, you offered it to someone else. It sounds like a great kind of community in which to live. I think it begins to give us a glimpse of what God has in mind for all of us. And what Paul is talking about and trying to describe to these early converts who said they would put their hope in Christ and would be his followers for the rest of their life. Dr. Leslie D. Weatherhead was a great preacher from the last century. He recounts in one of his books a story of an American serviceman during World War II who was shot down in the Pacific and ended up landing on a little-known island. They'd been warned that some of these islands were filled with people who were cannibals, and he was afraid he had landed in such a place, and he was injured, but he was able to manage to crawl up under some bushes and hide. He was hoping not to be found, but before very long, he was found. But he said he was so surprised because in a place where he expected violence and carnage, he found a people that took him in and cared for him with great attentiveness and nursed him back to health. He got to know some of the islanders. He said he began to talk with them about their life together. He said one of the leaders told him one day that there had not been a single murder in his whole lifetime. He said, you'll also notice we have no jails, we have no divorce, we have no poverty, we have no drunkenness. We virtually have no crime and very little disease. And if there's orphans among us, they're always taken into someone's home. And when someone's in need, somebody always responds. The American serviceman said, ah, my, that is so wonderful. How did it come to be that you all are able to live in such harmony and peace and with such goodwill with each other? And the man from the island said, well, you ought to know your ancestors sent us missionaries. We are Christians. We take Christ seriously. 
Paul is saying to the Thessalonians and to us, take Christ seriously. It will change your life. It will be better than you can even imagine. You can live a life full of peace and harmony and love and rejoicing and prayer and thanksgiving if you allow God to work this change in your life through Christ. Dr. Bondi says the early monastics came to believe that this was only possible when we see that a life of love and prayer are of one fabric. That it's not prayer and then you go ahead and live your life, or it's not you're trying to love without prayer, but that those two things must be yoked together of one fabric she says let me read you a few sentences as she describes this she says the early monastics believed that the goal of the christian life is love of god and love of neighbor prayer for them she writes was the ground in which that love was to grow as well as the means of its growth she goes on to say that they believed prayer was the fundamental reality of the lives of Christians. I have learned from the monastic teacher, she writes, that prayer is a back-and-forth movement between us and God in the whole of our lives, between God's continual grace and our continual response. She goes on to clarify, only a small part of our prayer however, is sitting down every day and deliberately spending time with God as we read Scripture, listen to God's voice, try to make sense of our lives in God's presence, and pray for others. The desert fathers and mothers insisted that our prayer and our life must be all of a piece. It's a life integrated between love and prayer Dr. Bondi says they believed and Paul describes, I think, in this letter. Paul says this is all possible because as we read in that last verse today, it is the will of God. It is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, Paul writes. That's why it's possible because God is at work in the world and in your life to make it so Lent reminds us that God wants more for us, that God is offering more for us. And the suggestion from our mothers and fathers in the faith is that Lent is an opportunity to clear away some of the debris and some of the distractions so that we might truly receive the gifts of God. Can you believe that God really wants a life of love and prayer for you, a life filled with peace and goodwill and abundance and rejoicing, a life of thanksgiving. Oh, circumstances do not always push us in that direction. But Paul says it's not circumstances that all of this is based on. It's based on God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I put a few questions at the end of the outline in your bulletin day. You might want to ponder them during communion or take them with you to think about this week. I put in there, have you given up too easily on this life centered and grounded in love of God and love of neighbor? 
Do you need to reorient your life toward this will of God that Paul describes? Or to use the language of Lent, do you need to repent? Do you need to turn around and reorient back toward God's love and God's will for you? Paul writes these early Christians and declares that the good news is that life really can be different in Christ. And it would look like a life where you can rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for each of you. Amen. Thanks be to God.